0: G'day, mate 40 here. It's Friday morning, 11.43 a.m. here in Sydney, Australia. And I've uh, been watching a lot of the, the World Cup, thinking about some of its application to, to politics. So, for example, I, I read a book on uh, Barcelona Football Club and how between about... Uh, 2006 and 2012, it was the greatest football club in the world, and it was was built around Lionel Messi, who this author, Simon Cooper, K-U-P-E-R, posits is the greatest football player of the past 30 years. He says he's better than uh, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, because while they're both equally good at uh, scoring goals, that uh, Lionel Messi is more of a, a creator. So he creates opportunities for other people. Anyway, Barcelona Football Club became incredibly successful, built around Lionel Messi. He, he ends up making about 50 million dollars a year playing for, for Barcelona. And then his salary became too much, and as he aged, having the whole team style built around him, you know, didn't didn't work out so well. So I'm thinking about now, this is kind of similar to the, the Trump movement, all right? So right now it looks like, honestly, for the past two years, that uh, the Trump movement would be better off without Donald Trump. So perhaps uh, retain the immigration restriction, you know, retain free trade, but maybe Donald Trump, the person, like Lionel Messi, the person they yeah, no longer good for the club. So Richard Spencer had some hilarious ideas on this. So he, he called Nick Fuentes uh, white ISIS, <laughs> which, which is pretty funny. So you can be skeptical of modernity, all right? You can not sign on with 100% with the Enlightenment. So, for example, the Enlightenment held that people are basically good. And so I think if you're watching this stream, you'd agree people aren't basically good. So you can be skeptical of parts of the Enlightenment, you can be skeptical of large swaths of modernity, and not really be with ISIS. But it is like hilarious Richard Spencer describing the the Nick Fuentes and and Kanye West movement as as essentially white ISIS. I mean, that is compelling, That that is funny. That, uh, that grabs my attention.
1: He saw all that temptation and was actively trying to destroy it. So, you know, I, I think these are, these are real ways that you can address a situation that's actually quite common in history.
0: So Richard's talking about the insult phenomenon.
1: Anyway, what do you guys think about that? This kind of gets at the trad revival thing that I was...
0: Right, so if you're not spending your, your, your energy and your love and your passion with your spouse your girlfriend, or your family, then it uh, opens up that energy for different directions. Forget Messi the goat, 40 is the goal, the greatest of all live streamers. (laughs) So I'm reading this book on uh, Barcelona Football Club, and here's the name of the book, The Barcelona Complex. (laughs) Lionel Messi and the Making and Unmaking of the World's Greatest uh, Soccer Club and the author Simon Cooper makes the point think about how much joy and happiness Lionel Messi has brought to probably millions of people just who just love to watch him, watch him play and so yeah, think about the joy and happiness I've brought to uh, dozens of people who just enjoy watching me <laughs> live stream <laughs> so there's some really good lines in this book and, and one, yeah, let's pause for a moment and think of what Messi does for global happiness. He, he's made our lives richer than they would have been without it. And kind of the similar phenomenon with, with Donald Trump. And then I think for many people who've been able to use you know, Nick Fuentes and Richard Spencer and many of the other alt-right streamers for entertainment purposes only, they didn't destroy their lives with the alt-right, but just enjoyed the human drama, enjoyed the conflict with the the mainstream media, all right? It's uh, it's made thousands of lives richer and more fun. Now, on the other hand, some people couldn't handle it. Some people took it too seriously. So Donald Trump is not a good loser, right? And so if you took him literally that the twenty twenty election was stolen, right? If you took many of the things literally, yeah, you'd be very likely to totally screw up your life. But If you're able to enjoy the human drama of Donald Trump or the alt right or the alt light or Gavin McGuinness without destroying your life, you're able to enjoy Kanye West and and Nick Fuentes and Milo, right? Just enjoy the human drama, then then you're better off for it, right? So we live in the age of messy or we live in the age of live streaming. It often feels like the best way to spend this time is to watch. Right. This is a whole new medium, so whether your, your entertainment is soccer or your entertainment is uh, true crime documentaries, but uh, live streaming offers the opportunity to become a prosumer. So this is someone who's both a producer and a consumer. So Glib Medley, right, he consumes live streams, but he also produces content. He is amazing with his comments, live streaming is messy, messy is life. <laughs> so if you're watching this, this uh, live stream or listening to a playback as a podcast, you're not just a consumer, you're, you're also a producer of content, right? I am reacting to you, but I had second thoughts about doing this live stream because I wanted to really record my thoughts on DJI Pocket 2, which gives far superior technical quality and far superior sound quality problem is i can't do it live on on that medium and so i am foregoing good technical quality in both sound and picture so they can have the live interaction right so we can kick it back and forth right if you're watching this you're not a consumer guys you're a prosumer you're a producer and i am also a prosumer because i am producing content but i am also consuming your content in, in the chat so, there was this one guy who struggled with mental health for he years to try to catch up and watch every me- match that Messi played for Barcelona. Because watching Lionel Messi had a therapeutic quality. Uh, he's an accessible genius. Though. And uh, so too with live streamers. I think for some people, it can improve your mental health because it, it provides an outlet for the laughter and for human connection. Even, even opposing players, So they're surprised to find themselves watching him leaving the match, becoming a spectator. So sociability, right, that's a large part of why we support a team and why we support politicians and movements and live streamers, right? It creates a community. It's a form of expression. You're communicating as much as if you're making love to somebody. Blessings to Elliot Blatt. See, Elliot Blatt, another guy, he's not just a consumer of live streams. He also produces great content i mean that was that was an amazing show is it just me or the show that uh, we did sunday i think australia time uh, saturday american time where elliot black came on for about an hour and i mean that was great quality content there elliot black i think that's my favorite live stream with you all right so if you are just knocking a ball between you all right, a relationship develops between you but if you're just live streaming with someone yeah what's up tim Humphreys? it was a quality live stream that 40 shares his vulnerabilities with his audience the way soccer players share their pains with the referee <laughs> that was just a, a fantastic stream on sunday Elliot. and so we develop connection as we just kick this dream back and forth right or if we go marching together we go bushwalking together, or we go to church together, or go to synagogue together, or eat a meal together, or if you're just knocking a ball back and forth, you develop a relationship, right? It's a form of expression. It's like making love to someone, right? If you work together on the football field, you get to know each other intimately, right? You exchange commentary on a live stream, you get to know each other intimately. You build up a close relationship. Like, I've never met Elia Platt, but like brothers. right you're, you're, we come on here we're resolving problems together. We're creating situations and drama and comedy and, and content and political analysis and personal analysis and cultural analysis together just like if you're two soccer players trying to create their goals together. Right, it's this is not an unspoken relationship. But when you're playing soccer or basketball together, your movements speak and your game speaks and your passes speak. Right? The kind of passes that you give each other, right? The kind of situations you set up together, they speak for you. Right? You develop a close unspoken understanding. Our oh, understanding is much more spoken. So a coach has to seduce his players into accepting his ideas. Professional coaches deal with professional players who are frequently getting paid much more money than him, frequently have much more power than him. And so how do you get them on the same, how do you get your players on the same table? You have to seduce them. Same with making a live stream, right? The more ostensibly, deliberately, provocatively, Outspokenly, I try to change your mind, that's never going to work, right? this successful live streamer has to seduce his audience, right? So seduction implies a relationship of equals, right? that's what we have going on here. So the contemporary sports coach, professional sports coach, is much more a film director than a military general. So, too, the live streamer, he's not really a military general. Yeah, if not seduce, at least engage. Right? Authoritarian rule does not really generally work out for live streams or for being a professional football coach. Okay, here's an insight from a professional anti-racism campaigner, former French football player, Léon Thuram. I've never met a racist person in football, and he means soccer. Maybe they were, I didn't see it. You know why? Because people who are racist tend not to know the other. In football, we share things. In football, it's harder to have discrimination because we are judged on very specific performance. Yes, journalistic horseplay is to be engaged in. So, Louis van Gaal, the coach, the manager of Holland, used to coach Barcelona, and he was Dutch. And so the Dutch tend to be very direct in their speech. Uh, The Spanish tend to be much more indirect and courteous. So, he was the coach of Barcelona football club for a couple of years, but it didn't work out because he was too direct. He tried to order his players around, and they didn't like to take orders. So, in modern football, in modern sports, when the talent clashes with the club, the talent usually wins. So, fans find this incomprehensible. They expect a manager to command his players like... uh, no, no-nonsense headmaster of a reform school for boys. But any macho coach who tries to break his players' will or tries heavy-handed motivation will prompt talent flight. Similar with a successful politician, you have to engage, right? There are rarely opportunities for just authoritarian rule. Like Donald Trump, by and large, could not just rule by fiat. He had to engage and he had to seduce. So the modern politician, the modern... Sports club abandons the fantasy of dominating their mobile multinational multimillionaire near irreplaceable players. Right, it's a talent-driven business. ruled by talent is inevitable. So, money is the best measure of player power. So, big clubs spend about 90% of their revenue on talent. This is an interesting insight here from Simon that. Uh, Special athletes have to perform at near 100% of their ability or they get replaced. So, Donald Trump, you know, politicians, they don't have to perform at near 100% of their ability day in, day out. Like Donald Trump, you know, spent hours a day just watching the telly. France versus England should expose some ancient enmity. Yes. So the whole English and French political systems are built around being top down, being the opposite of Federalist, being corporate, and they're built to go to war with each other. Now, so sports is not a very useful model for business because most people in business they can get away with giving, you know, less than one hundred percent effort. but. So players have to be as close as possible to 100% of their potential to be efficient. but that's not the case in daily life. So Trump was the least intellectual president we've ever had, even more incurious than George W. Bush at least read an immortal Leonard novel now and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that's right. So in Spanish life in general, as compared to German and Dutch life, Right, there are high expectations of courtesy, so publicly telling someone off is not tolerated. So this indirectness, however, can be a problem. Right, people don't take aside, you know, some aging player and tell him it's time to go. Business provides ample opportunity for the occasional tubing. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't do it in front of everyone. Right, in Spain, if you have an open clash with a player. The relationship won't automatically come good again. And this may be true also for, for politics. Right? Once you Trump went from known commodity to unwanted known commodity. Yeah. Now, once you break ties with someone in politics, very hard to rebuild. So in Spain, any criticism needs to be de- delivered in private, very carefully phrased. So a shrewd coach has to invest time building a relationship of trust with a player. We're trying to bridge sensitive issues, so when Bill Parcell went down to Texas he surprisingly caught, caught upon Quincy Carter to be a starting quarterback and Bill Parcells invested a great deal of time in that relationship only to have Quincy Carter kicked off the team in training camp of Parcells second year for cocaine problems and Quincy never made it in, in the NFL again. I admire much about Latino culture Yeah, they have a code of honor and loyalty I respect. Yeah, and a code of uh, courtesy. You can't be as blunt as you can be with the Dutch or the Germans or the Aussies. So it's interesting, professional soccer is becoming much more intense and at the same time it's becoming much more black. So high-intensity running means moving at over 15 kilometers an hour has increased 30% in the English Premier League between 2006-2013, so the number of sprints has been rising sharply in the Champions League, so you have to be in much better physical condition to play the game. So, Johann Freud, the most influential person in modern soccer, was a chain smoker, right? He wouldn't be able to get away with that today. All right. Here, when a sport comes to be dominated by one group or race, it's always a turn off some people because it makes the game less relatable. Some people, but it hasn't hasn't significantly diminished enthusiasm for the NFL, which is approximately eighty percent black sport. All right. So overall enthusiasm for the NFL is pretty close to an all time high. So where do professional athletes get better as they age? And this is also true for the rest of us. Decision making and pattern recognition. Uh, That's the biggest difference between being 15, 25, and 35, 45, 55. You make better decisions as you age and you'll get better at pattern recognition. So I think that's if you're listening to this show, it's probably because you've gotten significantly better at pattern recognition and you enjoy discussing pattern recognition and you want to share your ideas on pattern recognition. So uh, players over thirty have successful passes about three to five percent higher. Passes used to be white Jewish, now there are many Jewish teamers. Most players are black, right? But enthusiasm for the NBA is still very, very high. Okay, so people over thirty much more accurate with their passes, but twenty-one uh, percent lower in their sprinting than younger players. So what's the difference between the professional athlete and the rest of us? One difference is they have more intensity, right? They have more of an illusion that what they're doing is a matter of life and death. So too with the successful live streaming. I think of the intensity of uh, Nick Fuentes, Kanye West, Milo Yiannopoulos, Richard Spencer, uh, and Andy JF JFKRP, when they have thousands upon thousands of viewers Right, it does make life much more intense. Right? So, it seems much more that what you're doing is a matter of life and death compared to our everyday activities. So, winning and losing in front of thousands and thousands of people is a much more intense experience with a successful live streamer, podcaster, politician, or athlete. So, to losing in front of that many people becomes that much more intense. But, you really feel like you're living <laughs> so compared to the successful live stream of podcasts for a professional athlete you know, we lead low adrenaline lives so when Neymar Brazil's best soccer player moved on from Barcelona football club to PSG in Paris He lost a lot of his discipline, so Barcelona plays a very disciplined game that they've improved upon from Johan Cruyff, their former manager. So Neymar degenerated into someone who liked to receive the ball standing still. The the good soccer player passes the ball to where you'll be running to, not to where you're standing still. Uh, Neymar, like uh, many athletes like Neymar, love to taunt their opponents. So taunting has dramatically increased in the NFL, in the NBA, even in baseball since the 1950s. I'm trying to think, why is that? Why is there so much more taunting in professional sports? Hockey is under attack for its whiteness. Yeah. So why is there so much more taunting in professional sports? And why, when there's less discipline, do certain players start engaging in a lot more taunting? I, I feel like there's a pattern here, but I just can't quite put my finger on why sportsmanship has declined in the last few decades. And with integration, we've got a lot more taunting and a lot more disruption at school, uh, a lot more crime. And I can't quite put my finger on why this is. So, stuck in the French League, which is only about the, the fifth most competitive football league, Uh, Neymar is effectively retired from weekly top-class football. Don't try to call me when I'm live-streaming. I'm going to have to press decline there. Yeah, football needs more excessive celebrating in the end zone. Yeah, so some of the taunting is fun to watch. Some of the excessive celebrations are fun to watch. So the WASP approach is not the, the only approach in life. So the, the uh, most competitive soccer league is the Premier League, then I believe it's followed by the German league, then the Spanish league is number three, and I believe uh, the French league is number four or five. And like the Australian Soccer League would be like number 30 in the world. Oh, so Western Europe, right, they developed a style of soccer inherited from Johan Cruyff, right. You call this total football, right. It's primarily about passing the ball and players don't have a, a fixed position. And so pretty much, you know, all of Western Europe plays Johan Cruyffian football, total football. Right. It means every player attacks, everyone defends. So, the U.S. played total football because they've got incredible athletes, and so they were they were beaten, right, by Netherlands. But they weren't they weren't out physical, right? They they held their own with Netherlands. All right. So, in total football, every player changes position so fluidly; they it's like controlled chaos, right? every player has to think for himself nonstop and adapt his position second by second. So it's a little bit like live streaming. So in, in total football or in good soccer, you don't pass the ball um, horizontally. Because if you pass the ball horizontally, if the defender takes it, he will now be ahead of two of you on your team. So you always want to be passing the ball diagonally, not to where a person is, but to where he's going. All right, that's uh, total football. So Western Europe plays total football. United States, their national team did, but uh, most other teams in the United States don't play total football. So in 2013, here's a hilarious story. All right, so you had a kids' indoor soccer tournament in Rockville Centre, New York, and there was a referee short. So one of the organizers asked the parents, does anyone... Know the rules of the game well enough to call a game. This Hispanic guy in a baseball cap volunteered. But it turned out he interpreted his referee role quite broadly, kept stopping the game to advise both teams on positioning. The watching parents who'd come to see their kids win grew antsy. Come on, let them play, they shouted. The guy in the baseball cap on sabbatical in New York after four draining seasons at Barcelona Football Club was Pep Jardiola, right? The greatest soccer coach in the world. He was getting shouted at by the american parents so lionel messi has stopped defending right and uh, ronaldo cristiano ronaldo these older players have largely stopped uh, defending they're just really there to create opportunities and to score goals and it's kind of like what's happened to some of the greatest live streamers and tucker carlson and pundits they quit seeking truth Instead, they just seek to give their audience what they want ahead. Can you get JF back on your channel, please? Yeah, I should uh, should send him an invite. But you see this with a lot of successful live streamers. They find out formula that works for live streaming and for punditry and for hosting a radio show. The money is not in being right. The money is in being interesting. And so if it's interesting to be anti-vax, then you're not particularly rigorous in... You know, examining a study, see you know whether it replicates. It just if it you know, if it's interesting, you just seize on it. Kind of like old football players who uh, you know, kind of lose interest in defending; they just don't have the energy. So. Let's get back to a little uh, Richard Spencer commentary here on on Kanye and Yi as the as the uh, new as the new form of ISIS. I thought that's uh, amusing, not accurate, no accuracy, but very amusing. Interested in talking about, um, although it's. Uh...
1: One, only one aspect of it. Uh, do you think that Kanye will be the last uh, prominent black figure that embraces a kind of Christian national socialism? Totally. I totally agree with that. So there's going to be in the future another prominent, like, will just increase basically, you think, slowly? Yeah. I mean, remember, you know, a week after Kanye did his thing, you know, Kyrie, Irving followed the line, and, um, now, I don't think, certainly, Kyrie Irving and Kanye West are not incels. I mean, they've been married. I don't know I don't know about Kyrie Irving's personal life. I, who knows? Is, um, there, they, they, is there a consensus? They're not incels, but they, they kind of dovetail with the incel community. Is there a mainstream consensus on like, the theology of the Third Reich is it, in terms of it being a Christian movement or a pagan movement? Uh,
0: yeah, it was very much an anti-Christian movement, but they adapted themselves to the power of the Christianity held. Nazism was explicitly, profoundly, powerfully anti-Christian. It was very much a pagan movement. Um, The the modernism
1: present in National Socialism, I I have no doubt, well, I have a little doubt that he was not a Christian. The fact that Kanye, actually I watched about 30 minutes of Kanye's talk with Gavin McGinnis and he he labeled Hitler a Christian, which I definitely think is wrong. But um, at the same time, when I was a graduate...
0: Gee, it sure sounds like uh, Kanye West doesn't really know very much
1: graduate school, I remember being assigned books that were pretty interesting about kind of like the Christian response to uh, National Socialism. So this has been like 15...
0: So whatever your ideals, even religious ideals, you still have to adapt to reality. Right? Reality is not going to bend to you, even if you're theologically correct. So yeah, the churches had to adapt to the new form of power ruling Germany, which was Nazism.
1: 15 years at this point,
0: I'm uh, maybe a little hazy on the details, but I, I
1: do remember the general trajectory thing. And yes, there was a kind of... Syncratic syncretic marriage of Hitlerism and National Socialism with Protestant and Catholic Christianity during the Third Reich. Much as there is a, a synthesis between.
0: Look, Nazism never became pro Christian except as a tactic to gain support in elections and as a tactic of uh, unifying the country or giving, you know, allowing the country to find psychological comfort in difficult times. So there never was a syncretism of Christianity and Narcissism.
1: ...between American patriotism and Christianity in the United States. I mean, it's, it's actually really not surprising at all. It I is mean, there's surprising. just no doubt uh, that there's, you know, in evangelical
0: Christianity, it is a form of nationalism. And the flag is present. Um, the notion of redeeming... That is true. So... Not so much in Seventh-day Adventism, but when I moved out of Seventh-day Adventism with my family after 1980, and we, we you know, learn more about other evangelical Christians. Yeah, much of evangelical Christianity, you know, is heavily nationalistic. Now, the United States is nationalistic in, in a way that uh, Australia generally isn't. Like the United States is heavily patriotic in a way that Australia generally isn't. So Christianity is incredibly flexible. Uh, Christianity can be highly nationalistic or globalist christianity can be you know uh, support you know, racial identity and separation or it can oppose it so before the american civil war there was not one rabbi in the south of the united states who was opposed to, spoke out publicly against slavery so judaism also can be incredibly flexible right it can situate itself within socialist regimes within racist regimes all sorts of different uh, governing styles right christianity and judaism can adapt to deeming this
1: nation we're a christian nation the founders were christian george washington was a devout all of this stuff um it it you know it, it is just like what was going on in this christian synthetic um, uh, phenomenon during the third Reich. you know i'm just comparing the two i'm not equating them of course uh and i think that's very natural i mean you i guess you could Posited as a kind of survival strategy in Christianity, but I where it kind of takes on these factors,
0: okay. Um, but it's a very real, yeah. Well, people are rarely one thing, right? It's not like people are just religious or just nationalist or you know, just supporters of the Barcelona football club or just you know, husbands or just fathers, right? People are complicated, they have many different identities, you know, they're, they're clerks at home, at work. And you know, at home, you know, they may rule the roost. I was just walking past a chiropractor's office. There are a lot of chiropractors in Australia, and I think, you know my opinion, that it's uh, quackery. Uh, that it, at best it does nothing for you, generally speaking, and at worst it does irreparable harm, causing a stroke when they adjust your, your neck. But uh, this one chiropractor had a great, great pitch on his you know, outside window. It was, you know, live up to your potential. Like, who of us does not want to live up to his potential? I mean, that is, that's just like a great pitch because, like, we may be doing data entry by day, but we see ourselves as stars. Now, I may be live streaming to 14 people right now, but, you know, in my heart of hearts, I think I'm totally worthy of live streaming to 14,000 people right now. The Bible shows how multicultural world governments are disastrous anyways, says the, the chat. So living up to your potential, isn't that you know, a really killer advertising slogan? Because we all, you know, want to be living up to our potential. We all have you know, vastly you know grander visions for our life and for our, our role in reality than what we've been able to make real. So living up to your potential. So a a political, social, cultural, or religious movement based around you know, living up to your potential. Right? That's that's an incredibly successful formula
1: very natural I think it's kind of almost unnatural when it doesn't do that and obviously with Trump, I mean this is the other theme that is worth talking about where like isn't it interesting how all of these movements kind of end up as just Christianity at the end of it so in 2015
0: Well, why is it that many of these right-wing nationalist movements, identitarian movements, end up as just Christianity? Because Christianity is still more socially acceptable than a movement based around racial identity. I think that's why.
1: 2015, Donald Trump really defined his campaign as immigration. It's about the wall. It's about protecting Americans from these criminals and rapists. Uh, it's about not getting screwed over economically by Mexico or China, or so on, and that's how it started. It was actually remarkably secular. Trump never mentioned God in his you know announcement speech in 2015, and he also, of all the things that he was you know politically incorrect about, homosexuality was actually not one. He like did not talk about gay marriage, which was controversial a mere five years before he ran. Hotly controversial. And it's almost become controversial again, interestingly, which kind of bolsters my point on this. You now have Ben Shapiro and other people, Matt Walsh. These are guys with millions of viewers and so on. They are now really going back to the gay marriage situation. And they were just outright in opposition to the recent codification of gay marriage in Congress. Interesting. Interesting. Um, but anyway, it was remarkably secular, Trump's campaign was remarkably secular, and by the summer of 2016, things started to shift. And so he, you know, he went to Liberty University and gave a, maybe it was a commencement address, maybe it was just a big speech, and he said, you know, you might not like me folks, but you've got to vote for me because of the judges, you've got to vote for me guys. And,
0: well, Trump's most important address on this was in Iowa, where he said, if you vote for me, Christianity will have power, and he did live up to that, right? Christianity did have power, Roe v Wade was overturned, you know, Trump delivered on many of his campaign promises, and uh, evangelical Christians and you know other Trump supporters had their reasons for supporting Trump, just like you know, many politicians who just personally can't stand Trump still support him because they see him as a vehicle for getting things done that they believe in. Right? To get things done, you often have to make common cause with people that you otherwise do, do not care for. That
1: worked. He also infamously was interviewed by Chris Matthews and asked about abortion. He said, well, we're going to have to punish the woman and we want to outlaw abortion and, you know, we'll punish the doctor, we'll punish the woman. And he kind of had to think about it and say, well, yeah, we're going to have to punish the woman, too. So it brought up the specter of, you know, I mean, I don't think he necessarily wanted this, but it brought up the specter of like executing women who commit abortion. I mean, he went there and I think he kind of had he felt that he had to go there to gain the Republicans trust. Mike Pence was Put forth as another way of achieving that. Um, Mike Pence was only notable really due to his opposition to the bake the cake stuff and the Hobby Lobby stuff. I mean, that, that's where he came from. And uh, so, you know, Trump went there. He, he pandered
0: or tried to appeal to these people, but then they. Impl- yeah, no one really believes in, you know, paganism because uh, paganism, you know, just gives you a pen of, you know, any, any moral choice. And, and Want, essentially. So, you know, people who are looking for divine guidance, right? They're going to choose, you know, belief in the one true God. They're not going to go for pagan alternatives. People who want, you know, transcendent, you know, divine connection, they're going to go for one true God or Abraham.
1: Race him more than anyone else. So, you know, if you look at various figures like, like me, for instance, you know, I was off the Trump train, maybe the earliest, but I don't know. And then, you know, Ann Coulter, I don't really like Ann Coulter, to be honest, but, and I think all she wants is DeSanta. She just, she just wants to
0: go backwards and not forwards. But regardless, she's way off the Trump train. Um, and the people who were off the Trump train at the beginning jumped on the Trump train. And so Ben Shapiro became the, in many ways, face of the Trump movement, at least in terms of the ideological online content. So why do people jump on and off the, the Trump train? In large part it depends on their social circle. Large part it depends on pragmatic considerations. All right. Uh, if if you're an evangelical Christian and you want evangelical Christianity have power, then it makes sense you vote for Trump. If you, you know, think that America has a massive crime problem or a massive illegal immigration problem, then it makes sense that you, that you vote for Trump. All right. Pragmatic.
1: Okay. And. The people who remained absolutely devoted to him were the Christians. And by 2020, you know, you have Paula White, his spiritual advisor, or whatever the hell she was, you know, speaking in tongues on the eve of his election. And weirdly calling forth voting blocks from Latin America, like, they're coming from Latin America, they're coming from Africa, we're here for Trump, in your name, father, in your name.
0: Yeah, but I mean, is that any more ridiculous than the things people say when they're having sex or trying to have sex? I mean, there are other ways to get passionate, you know, aside from sex. But I guess if you're a pagan or secular or an atheist, you know, probably sex is the closest you're going to have to a transcendental experience, to a transcendent experience. So, you know, religious people usually have you know, waterfall avenues to the, you know, the transcendent. And so. Uh, these these experiences all look ridiculous from the outside. Right? There are, there are many mysteries that you can only understand when you're inside the dance. Right? If I if I had to look at you, you know, having sex, it, it would uh, probably look very ridiculous to me.
1: You will destroy all enemies. Destroy them. I mean, it was wild as hell. But on some level, like all of that, I mean, look, the wall never really got built. It got built to some degree. Um, immigration was never truly reformed. It's definitely true that there were some serious kind of draconian measure, measures implemented by Sessions and company. And COVID uh, lessened immigration pretty substantially. All, all of that's true. But there was never really any like big solution to these issues offered by Trump. And, it, and it's ultimately kind of gone by the wayside. You don't hear people talk about the wall anymore, whatever. And it's just become a religion like the emergence of QAnon was probably and and I really hate it when I talk to some of these conservatives that they want to just deflect and deny and diminish the importance of this stuff I mean QAnon was one of the most important social phenomena of my lifetime an online movement that motivated people to be fanatics that is remarkable
0: Wait, 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 wait. How is that different from uh, Richard Spencer's movement? Wasn't it also an online movement that motivated people to be self-destructive, antisocial, and uh, fanatical?
1: And, you know, so it just emerged as this cult. And you can kind of see this coming up later. You know, as I said, I think Trump needed to kind of, like, be radical bit again, be crazy again, kind of reignite the magic of, of 2015. And he can't. Maybe he's just played out. Maybe he's just taken too many shots at this point that he's on the mat, dazed and confused he can't get out that's possibly probably true no one's even talking about trump at this point and so you get this yayism which you know waves the flag and evokes americana and that type of stuff but is ultimately
0: just christianity and you know i, I again i listened to a lot of the gavin
1: to thing i should probably listen to the whole thing it just wasn't nearly as compelling as this wild alex jones interview that i listened to with rapt attention because it was so just absurd (laughs) but anyway if if there is a policy there with yayism it seems to be you know we blame the jews for the fact that porn is on the internet and we have indecent advertising and all that kind of stuff we blame the jews but we can't really you know kick the jews out of these positions so what we're going to do is have decency laws and um you know, how exactly that would play out, I don't know,
0: but, but that's at least the kind of germ of an actual policy of yay-ism. But Look, the, the policy of yayism and uh, the policy of you know, QAnon, essentially, we're losing in the current system, therefore, let's overthrow the current system. You know, from from a pag- pragmatic basis, I think that's what it boils down to. What's
1: most prominent about yayism is the fact that it is just pure Christianity.
0: No. <laughs> That Yayism, pure Christianity, is absurd. If Yayism was pure Christianity, you'd have all these Christian theologians and Christian clergy on board, and I'm unaware of any. That like, Yayism is pure Yay. Right? It's just another opportunity for, for Kanye West to you know, seize attention and to you know, proclaim that he's cutting edge and that you know, he's going to change the world. Yeah, he's gay. Well, he's certainly. It certainly seems seems that way. Uh, Apparently, what, uh, uh, Milo and Ye fell out over, you know, one accusing the other of making a gay move.
1: You know, like, to be fair, there is some policy there, more or less. But, like, that's not the real thing. It's about calling out the Pharisees, reading the Bible, putting your faith in Jesus, loving everyone, especially Hitler. But, But isn't it interesting how, like, populism, quote unquote, for all this stuff, it just... It, it like gets reduced to Christianity. And, and I, I think that's the general trajectory of this stuff. This just keeps happening over and over. You can even say the replacement of me with Nick Fuentes as the kind of like, you know, icon slash object of hatred of the online right. Like that also is very interesting because everyone, everyone knows that I'm secular at the very least. And also, everyone knows that that Nick is not. Like, this is the long-term trajectory of things. And I guess the way to to think about, like, how do we explain this, um, I think to a, you know, this all comes in the context of a general decline in belief in God and religiosity in the United States. So as this is happening, the general general religious belief is declining pretty significantly. And so I guess that I would suggest that it might be a kind of like late reaction against this overwhelming trend. I mean, keep this in mind. The number of unchurched agnostics or atheists is at the same level as evangelical Christians in the Bush era. And so in 2022, the number of like vaguely agnostic. It almost gets kind of reduced into something more intense. You know,
0: it's like if you're... people want to feel something, people want to feel alive. People want an adrenaline rush. People want a dopamine hit. And the successful religious, social, cultural leader, the successful live streamer, helps people to feel something. And you want to. You know, you know, offer people a way to you know, feel alive, that you know, finally now they're living living from the inside, now they have the, the truth, now they have the, the real stuff.
1: You're cooking a sauce, and you know you, you put some vinegar, Worcestershire, whatever, some kind of strong stuff. At the beginning, it's kind of like fairly weak, but you keep reducing it, boiling it down, and all the water goes away, so it's it much less than it was, but it's kind of stronger. It's a true reduction. Yeah, as someone just mentioned, like, mysticism is on the rise. Like, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, there's something to be said for the notion um, from, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, British theologian uh, Chesterton. He's not a theologian, he's kind of a journalist actually, but you know what I mean. Uh, Chesterton, And to some degree, it's the kind of notion of Dostoevsky. It's like, when you don't have religion, when you don't have Orthodox religion, you're just going to have crazy new religions. I I do agree that. I I think that is also on the rise. But Christianity in a recognizable form is simply declining. And Belief in God is declining. Even people who believe in God believe in some like hazy entity in the sky who's nice. Whether they really believe that a Christian God is questionable for a Jewish God. Um, but as this declines, I, I think this will kind of get more intense. And the thing that kind of sparked off this for me this morning was I saw, I read this article in the, in the New York Times about Indonesia, believe it or not, banning sex before marriage. Banning cohabitation by unmarried couples.
0: Yeah, so are you, are you planning on any vacations to Indonesia? Right. sex outside of marriage is now banned sex outside of marriage is banned in Qatar so I right, sure hope there isn't you know, a bunch of fornicators in Qatar you know, placing their, their well-being at, at risk right. so this is just the, the more traditional perspective on life you know, being brought into secular law and other things it's very interesting someone just asked would yay be open to Apolloism, I mean I mean Also, also these are Muslim nations, and they do seem more medieval than Christian nations. I can't imagine a Christian nation, they're passing a secular law banning sex outside of marriage. Maybe I should send old Nick
1: an email and say, uh, or a text and say, hey man, let me talk to you. I don't know if it would work or not. Maybe worth doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, he might be open to a in the sense that he's open to anything. He's a kind of artistic type, but let me go back to this. I also think there's a kind of neo-trad revival which is occurring, which, which is very interesting to me because, you know, in Indonesia, this Indonesia was held up as the secular, good, liberal, Muslim country. And now they've not exactly implemented Sharia law, but they, they've implemented a certain kind of fundamentalism that, you know, at least for Americans or at least for Americans not too long ago, it's just unthinkable. I mean, for better or for worse, and maybe mostly for worse, I don't know, but you know when you're in your 20s you're gonna probably move in with your girlfriend and something like that is now illegal that is pretty remarkable and as i've said i've, I've suggested this before and i'm not i'm not positive about this i'm, I'm kind of offering a, a little bit of a conspiracy theory you could say but i'm, I'm offering just a, a take on the roe v wade decision now millions in fact billion more than a billion dollars were raised on behalf of one.
0: okay so his uh... Perspective on the, the Roe v. Wade decision is that it's you now it's a way to, to force Americans to uh, reproduce. You now, kind of recognizes that uh, on their own they're just not going to get it done. So maybe with uh, Roe v. Wade, they'll, they'll finally start reproducing. Sure, it's, uh, you know
1: it's, it's, it would be unlikely to uh, really benefit you. Uh, in, in fact, you'd likely be one of the casualties of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is this is an interesting issue. Um, I I think I was saying this last Thursday at some point, where you know you know the the meme that's very popular on the dissident right and particularly among like Tucker Carlson viewers and things like that, which is that strong strong men make good societies. Good societies lead to weak men. Weak men lead to bad societies. Hard excuse me. Hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Hard times make strong. That's usually how it goes, right? Um so okay, I, I you know, I more or less agree with the sentiment of that. Uh there's a little too much luxury in the world and you become decadent and frivolous and weak and so on. And there's a kind of natural cycle where that leads that leads to bad things and it might ultimately lead to chaos, but out of that chaos, stronger people will arise. So I, I kinda get it. I, I agree with the essence of what they're saying. Um but what's kind of interesting is that like the people who share that meme are actually the ones who are going to bring about bad times. And what I mean by that is that, like, these so-called weak men that these guys rage against, they're raging against them from a, from a resentment standpoint. Like, they're, raising, they're raging against them from a lower status. So,
0: yeah, I think this is a, a great point, all right? People who are losing in the current system want a revolution to change the system.
1: Yeah, they might not like the video gamers who are total losers, but when they say like weak men, they're talking about like the current Secretary of State or um, uh, Biden's latest, uh, a press secretary or an MSNBC commentator, and that's who they're raging against. And those people, whatever you want to say about them, like I would agree with a lot of criticisms of them, but those people are actually actively managing the current system, and due to the fact that it's going and the mail gets delivered and your bank account isn't you know, miraculously emptied or something like this, they're doing a fairly good job. And it's actually these guys who share the strong men meme that are probably going to eventually end up attacking the system. So they're the ones that are actually gonna bring it all down.
0: I think the deeper issue here is the people who are unhappy, right? people who are losing at life, people who are ineffective, are going to want to place the locus of their problems outside of themselves. So these people are much more vulnerable to believing in conspiracy theories, that they just want to place the blame for their frustration in life, their pain in life, you know, on some entity outside themselves. So these people tend to be ineffective at life, they tend to be marginalized losers, and they tend to attach themselves to, you know, marginalized movements
1: yet they want to blame the weak men for this. <laughs> it's it's just a thought, but like those, again, and, and the people sharing those memes aren't necessarily even the strong men. I mean, the people sharing those memes are like the guy who's a manager at Bed Bath & Beyond, but wants to be a horse trainer or a, or a factory laborer or something, but, but kind of can't due to, to, due, to be fair to situations outside of his control. So he's a kind of bourgeois LARPing as a, as a, proletariat or or peasant um but it's those people who again are kind of like enraged against the current system and the current order and it's those people who are going to bring it down you know whether it's like jason
0: okay i don't think they're going to bring it down i think they're too ineffective to bring it down but they can certainly create chaos All right. So particularly in a disconnected, atomized society, marginalized losers, they're much more dangerous. They can commit crime. They can create social chaos. I don't think they're going to bring America down.
1: Sex or gayism or, you know, just the kind of like aggressive stupidity you see in this like Tucker Carlson video about men like, you know, heating their balls and wrestling. And like, those are the types of people who who are just kind of like feeling they feel like the world is beyond their control. And they're not invested in the elite and they're raging against it as like it's feminine or it's weak or whatever like but they're raging against it always from a lower status and those are going to actually be the people who bring it all down for better and for worse yeah I understand the idea that they're you know it's like a, it's like a summary of Spengler's like civilizational elemental cycle Yeah. Uh, but but they kind of but they're it's, it's, a, it's a summary I suppose of the concept but not of the important parts I mean with what Spengler was talking about even Nietzsche touched on this um you know when talking about sort of sort of how like the the greatest culture that ever uh, you know the greatest and in, so far as it contains sort of all the elements um of of athens you know had to occur while it was in a state of decline you know like that was almost a necessary component
0: so you notice that the average iq of uh, richard spencer's audience seems to be about 20 points higher than that of nick fuentes's audience um
1: because the people were comfortable
0: enough to produce, start producing high culture, and they, they
1: had achieved a sort of uh, a hegemony that they 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 had already done all the hard stuff, I suppose. Um, yeah. So, and so then they could they could start eating the fruits of their labor, but in so doing, they they bring about a decline. Um, but in Spengler, he talked about sort of like the, the process of urbanization and the disconnection of people from, you know, from the land and the idea that, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cosmological uh, element to that that, that, is, that is lost. Um, and therefore, then there's a, there's a cohesiveness that, that is lost as, um, as the cultures start to, you know, and he, he referred to more ancient ones, you know, the, the development of, of all these different cults.
0: Yeah. What about people like Kanye who've been on the inside and then, you know, they, they switch to taking the, the populist position? Right. So, I think they feel undervalued by being on the inside. So, Kanye was frustrated with the middleman. he was frustrated with the companies he was doing deals with. He thought he could do you know, much better on his own. And so, some people that live on the inside, live with the power brokers, you know, they abide by the rules they just finally get tired of those restrictions, and they just want to blow things up. My dad was kind of like that, he was an influential South Adventist theologian, and evangelist, but got tired of living within the rules, wanted to you know, challenge the Church's central doctrine, and then, like many before him, right, eventually got pushed out. So. Usually, I think it's some kind of anti-social spasm. So yeah, Kanye West, Russell Brand, they've lived on the inside. Now they're willing to you know, jeopardize all that to take on you know, marginalised positions,
1: uh, as opposed to a hierarchy of um, a cult from the state. That's and all that. That's like way past the point that, 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 that I don't even think they're capable of talking about or willing to even if they even if they could but um it's interesting i did i did read something a long time ago um it was was near the start of the syrian civil war it was about how the the chaos that the rebels in different areas and all these different competing factions and um the the chaos that they had produced actually made a lot of it actually sort of um made more firm the will of the people who were still under the government uh were with the living in the regions that were still uh, controlled by assad and i remember someone said this this was an article so they were they were speaking to someone and it was like they weren't supporters of this Alawite minority they weren't supporters of the president um they were hardly any of that but that but that they they wanted to live in a functioning state right and i imagine that the people the rebels were, were are sort of these people that, that you're talking about they're they were approaching it you know they're
0: they're trying to attack the existing And I think this is the reason why the voters turned against Trump in 2018 and 2020 is they saw what he was doing as making the state less functional. And so if Trump had simply appeared competent with regard to COVID, probably would have easily won re-election
1: which it shouldn't necessarily never be attacked, but they are coming from a lower rung uh, socially, and they probably share a lot, you know, because we, we see these, these sort of Wahhabist elements uh, amongst them. You know, the, the, the Assad regime, uh, Syria, uh, you know, for so many years has been too, uh, it's been too secular, it's been decadent, it's been it's being ruled by these, these weird Alawite people. They're hardly Muslims, uh, if at all, right. and, and, you know, and we, we need to bring about this more, um, you know, pro- they, they probably see themselves as the, as the strong men, but it's like, but then they can't even work, like, they can't, they can't do the basic things in that in that hierarchy of needs. I forget the name of
0: that. Um, uh, Abraham Maslow. You know I Yeah,
1: I understand that. hierarchy. Yeah, you need food and shelter. Right. Yeah. I, I just interpret yeah. the name of the, the, the theory. Yeah. At any rate, yeah. that. But, um, but if you can't provide those basic things, it's like,
0: well, yeah, you're you're the you're the weak men creating the bad times. Like. Yeah. So the Biden administration has appeared more competent. Not saying they are more competent, but they certainly have appeared more competent. Probably helps having the, the, the media on your side. Exactly. Uh, that's that's not good. Uh, it's you know perhaps you know you do have elements of
1: a more uh, of a of, you know I guess a more primitive strongman thing insofar as you're engaging in combat, you're you're fighting for a cause, but it's like to what end? Uh, so if, if if the goal is to create you know is for strongmen to create good times, yeah, you're doing the contrary. So. Yes, exactly. I, don't, don't you think like ISIS is kind of paradigmatic in all of this in so many ways? It's a fanatical revolt against. The modern world and the fact, even that ISIS engaged online, like the ISIS was big on Twitter, Twitter in say 2014, and they were engaging in this just kind of like bizarre, hilarious uh, type of stuff. You even see this saw this a little bit with the Taliban when they reach a power. And don't you think that that like though ISIS they are the strong men and they are strong men to some degree. They're willing to die and sacrifice. They're willing to kill. I mean, they're badass. Uh, but they're they're paradigmatic in the sense that like they're the men we're going to bring it all down and there's no you know i, I don't think isis is long-term well, It's it is viable in the long-term precisely for the reasons that you just outlined like they're not going to be able to provide yeah uh, someone mentioned in the chat Mas, maslow is that what it is I, i've heard the hierarchy i've heard that many times i'd be curious to look at it read the origin of it but yeah you you need to provide food and shelter and stability before we even start talking about the no sex before marriage stuff <laughs> you know so um yeah I think ISIS is paradigmatic in that. And, you know, and I'm not saying this as, like, slander or something, but, you know, there's a degree to which the Fuentes guys – and, you know, like, look at the people involved in this thing. And, look, I do think Ye is very authentic. I think he means this. I think he kind of has an artistic mind and all this kind of stuff. But uh, look at the people involved in this immediately. You have have Fuentes, Ali, Akbar, Alexander, Owen Benjamin. Like, these are – it kind of is white ISIS,
0: white ISIS and you know I don't think they're going to that's a funny point right it's okay literally factually not true you know the Fuentes movement has anything in common with ISIS except yeah they both are movements of revolt against modernity they're pretty much all right wing movements uh, movements to varying degrees of revolt against modernity didn't know until recently that Owen Benjamin was writing many of the jokes that uh, Kanye West was using about uh, Ben Shapiro so what unites you know Kanye West, Owen Benjamin Nick Fuentes and Ben Shapiro is, is a revolt against modernity but there are varying degrees of revolt against modernity right, not everybody on the white right wants to overturn everything about modernity
1: engage in suicide bombings or something like this but it has the same vibe or motive okay that's,
0: that's pretty funny so uh, yeah, Richard uh, can definitely come with the, uh, the the compelling perspectives. So calling Fuentes and company the uh, White ISIS. <laughs> I don't know well. Oh shoot! Go on. Who are
1: doing well? As
0: Okay, It's some, uh, which is Spencer's Twitter space.
1: There's another aspect about gayism that I think is very significant, which is that back in 2016, Trump was kind of a mainstream Republican at least, or he was being promoted by traditional Republican operatives. Roger Stone, for instance. And uh, Geo Proud, a big Republican group.
0: Okay, Register is not a typical GOP operative, right? Register is very much on the fringe.
1: At the time, working with CPAC, got his first speech at CPAC in you know uh, whenever it was.
0: 20- Look, in uh, in politics, there are no permanent friends, there are no permanent alliances. All right, right? are just interests which change over time. Yeah. Spencer indirectly compliments Nick Fuentes, company by calling them ISIS, which he calls badass fourteen or something like this.
1: And Trump hired some, well, you know, not exactly the best of the brightest, but he hired some pretty traditional Republican aides, you know, uh, Corey Lewandowski, Katrina Pearson, you know, idiots, but not not all right people. And so the alt right was always kind of tangential; it was riding the wave of Trump, and it was at most tangentially connected to it. What I see with yay, and I think this is actually a huge problem, in fact, is that yayism is fully operated by these certain alt-right people. Now, Nick Fuentes is most obvious.
0: Yeah, yayism is they're fully supported by the dysfunctional, right? by people who, generally speaking, are losing in the current system, right? Yayism is not attracting the best and the brightest
1: with him. He's appearing alongside him on those show. I think Nick Wint is actually kind of the least <laughs> in his problems. Uh, Nick Wint, look, I've had I have very strong profound disagreements with Nick Wint does. And, you know, you could uh, call him a grifter. I guess everyone could be called a grifter on some level. But I actually do think that Nick is operating in good faith. I think he actually believes the Catholic stuff. Um, and I think he believes in the Nationals as well. and He kind of
0: Look, whether or not someone's operating sincerely or authentically or in good faith uh, doesn't really matter that much. Well, generally speaking, what, what matters is you know, whether they're aligned with your interests or not. But uh, that, uh, Nick Quintez is authentic and operating in good faith doesn't you know, say anything about whether or not his you know, ideas and his approach are going to be good or bad for you. No, I think I'm fine but the other people surrounding yay are and, and yeah my position in case it's not clear is that uh, Nick Fuentes uh, Kanye West uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, Owen Benjamin you know, they're good for you to the extent you treat them as entertainment right richard spencer entertainment all right they're bad for you when you take start taking them as oracles of, of truth so there's tremendous you know entertainment and human drama and you know even things to learn from these fringe characters, but they're terrible examples for you know how to model your life. I would say far worse than French.
1: because whatever you want. To say, I, again, I, I do
0: think that Cortez is operating
1: in this not necessarily to win, but to promote himself and his his ideas. But that's kind of you see it. But the Ali Alexander, Ali Akbar, is fully embedded with the campaign. Milo was. Milo resigned. Who knows? There was probably some intrigue or drama behind that. But Milo was there. At the and it's very hateful to me that Milo has very bad intentions and that he was, he might very well have been
0: motivated, at least in part, to just... Dis- so, yeah, Richard goes with this, this bit, they're, you know, they're just good guys and they're bad guys. Right? And if you can just get a fix on whether someone's a good guy or a bad guy, well, we're different, in different situations, we don't have one moral character. In some situations, we're going to be honest. In some situations, we're going to be brave. In other situations, we're going to be cowardly. In other situations, we're going to be diligent situations we're going to be slack and, and lazy, in some situations we're going to be moral, and in other situations we're going to be immoral. And so it's not like there's just you know, some inevitable moral character that if you can just you know fix it, then you can get a good read of what's going on. Boy, Trump or show him up or sabotage him, etc. Uh, M- Milo
1: is a lying sociopath. Uh, Laura Loomer's there. No, Mora Loomer, I probably put closer to Puentes. I, you know... <laughs> I, I do think she she's more kind of what you see is what you get uh, but then you can kind of go it, it's just it, it's fully operational by these internet people um and I, I i think there are some major problems with that i think that's one of the reasons why yeasem won't will have a very difficult time getting off the ground and might kind of go up in flames but it is what it is but at the very least it's very interesting that that's the case because he's not a republican candidate like trump was he he
0: now the chat says that uh, Yay is making his point very effectively. Yeah, he's making his point very effectively for some kind of audience. Right? For another kind of audience, he's not making his point effectively. So it really depends on the level of, of you know, learning, uh, social status, um, how effective you are in life. You know, how high is your IQ? Whether or not you're going to, you know, resonate with uh, Kanye West, you know, largely infantile analysis. He is
1: the internet candidate pure. Internet candidate. And I think this is interesting again from the level of power dynamics. After the midterms in the, you know, in November 8th, or whatever they were, early November, all you heard about is DeSantis. Oh my god, you know, this is the Trump who can win, this is the smart Trump, the mainstream him. oh let's get rid of Trump, let's go with DeSantis. Do you really hear about DeSantis anymore? I think he much like much like Alex Jones has been kind of broken by this. I think he's almost irrelevant. Even Trump himself is being rendered almost irrelevant by the by gayism because gayism is so hot and so authentic. Trump can rant on Truth Social about how we should suspend the Constitution, and people don't pay it much money, nor should they, to be honest. It just sounds stupid. And so all of that, you know, after the uh, midterms, I was saying and after Trump uh, gave his uh, announcement address a week later, I was saying, you know, being a mainstream Republican just really isn't
0: going to work for Donald Trump. Okay, that just seems absurd that yeah uh, is going to supersede Donald Trump that uh, Yeism is going to supersede the Republican Party, that uh, Ron DeSantis is now passé because you know, Kanye West had a compelling appearance on Alex Jones. And, uh, Richard is a lot of fun to listen to. He's very entertaining. He's very theatrical. But because he puts so much, because he's so conditioned to think theatrically, he you know gets carried away with you know acquainting that which is compelling with that which is important of what is compelling is not important, and much of what is important is not compelling. So, you know, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, are by no means, eclipsed by Kanye West. Uh, Kanye West is a freak show.
1: You can talk about the stock market uh, being up, line go up, back in the... Uh 2019 or something. No one ultimately cares. That's not how he got elected. That's not why he developed a cult of personality. That's just ultimately not going to work for him.
0: It's a big part of why people get elected or don't get elected, whether or not they're better off or worse off they're under somebody's reign. So a rising stock market does kill people with more optimism.
1: And so I, one thing you know, say what you will about Ye. The fact that he's this like pure like dissident right, internet candidate, it's it's actually a powerful thing because I think it makes the other, his competitors irrelevant. Now, I don't think Hayes, gonna, uh, Ye, excuse me, I keep calling him K, I'm i I don't think Ye is going to run the Republican primary and I don't ultimately think he can win, you know, if I'm just being a pundit here, uh, but he can be that powerful. And if he sucks up all of the dark magic, uh, I think that's actually gonna directly affect the Republican outcome because at the end of the day, the Republicans actually need that stuff to win. Republican consultants and the establishment, they can tell themselves all day long that DeSantis is America's governor and he's so lovable and, you know, he's so smart or whatever. I hate to break it to them, but they are living in their own delusional world. There is a huge percentage of the country, much larger than the percentage that, is a, that would be defined as a conservative activist, who dislike DeSantis. They might even dislike him rather intensely. And he's associated with stuff they dislike or have contempt for. Martha's Vineyard stunts, the attacks, attacks the against Disney, which have been apparently reversed or the best, All this kind of stuff. He kind of has all the culture war baggage, which might make him popular, but is ultimately going to prevent him from winning. He doesn't have any of the magic, the dark magic.
0: So, how much loyalty and you know, how much dedication do you give to someone who's an unstable personality? you throw in with Kanye West, he's going to be all over the map. He's going to be up and down. He's not exactly someone you can rely on. So certain people are stable in those situations, and other people just seem to be incredibly unstable. And now, the unstable can often have piercing insights, levels of honesty and authenticity that the stable can never touch. It's like some people can be, you know, brilliant in one area or two areas, but you don't want them checking the engines before the plane takes off. So Kanye seems to me like a classic person who can be brilliant in certain areas, but not the type of stable personality you want checking the engine before the plane takes off. And just on a personal level,
1: he's just very unattractive. And the fact that conservatives can't see that maybe tells us something about themselves. But anyway...
0: Um, okay, that's uh, some analysis from Richard Spencer's Twitter space on December 6th. And uh, let's get a little bit more here from Richard and company.
2: It's, it's not really, it's like an ancient country, but really most of that land was in Ukraine or Belarus. Right. It's really a, a novel country, much like America. It's like these two, like very large nations of Europeans, newly settled, not much, much less history than say France or Germany, and much less like the, the different areas of Russia have far less cultural difference than the different areas of Germany. And America is right. mostly entirely homogenous. so like the, like the two arms of Europe that kind of stretch right out, kind of like attacking each other during Cold War, during Cold War. Yeah. It's something very surprising I mean, it kind of goes back to like if you look at the last two centuries. I mean, right like this, but uh, no, no. You look at the last two centuries of you know, from about, from about uh, the Congress of Vienna to about fall of Soviet Union, all of our philosophy was in German. And you yeah. saw, in saw, the same way, you know, during the age of Enlightenment, all of our philosophy was in French, and that kind of ended the French Revolution. But in Germany, it was different. There was different currents in like the left and the right. Of course, you have Das Kapital, you know, all that on the uh, left. And on the right, you had, you know, Nietzsche going down, you know, all that. Yeah. So it was almost like instead of where, as during the French Revolution, all differences complement each other, during, um, I guess, the age of German philosophy, it was very at war and almost kind of really led this kind of destruction and rebellion. It ended up in the, uh, you know, actual division of Germany
1: as well. maybe yeah. kind of fitting in some ways. You have the uh, the uh, Marxist half and uh, <clears throat> maybe not quite the Nietzschean half, but uh, yeah, you get the uh, you get the picture. Yeah. You know, I, I totally, I mean, look, I remember one of my professors said the uh, the last battle between the old and young Hegelians occurred at Stalingrad <laughs> actually generated shockwaves when I was studying Michael. Very true. Um, I mean, ultimately, the difference between... The left, and they part of the, farm, the right, I Yeah, they just think in terms of like national interest or something. They don't appreciate the degree to which the last battle between the aliens occurred at Stalingrad.
2: Like they don't understand that ideas have consequences. No, and I, I think as Americans, I once read something. Menken, who said that like we don't understand the politics of consequences. we think' that nobody right. hurt. So it's almost like a game. And I, and I think it's so dangerous because I like you said a little before or another space that, you know, people are all about boxes that, that they don't know what's kind of you know, come out of. And you right. see the Supreme Court almost politically endorsing the uh, independent state legislature theory. Uh, I don't see how that just leads to somehow, kind of, like, at least some kind of, like, the Troubles type civil unrest. I mean, yeah, it would yeah definitely in some kind of, um, I mean, he said something before, I feel like we're in, like, almost at like the concert of Vienna, or, sorry, the concert of Europe, you know, Europe, where it's like, don't really know what's coming next? We're just kind of sitting around, waiting for something to happen. I agree. No, okay. very good comments.
1: Yeah, that's just my spiel, so. Gone, that's yeah, awesome. yeah. All right. Um, let's do one or two more, and then I'm going to call it, and I think get some work done. Uh, I think... Uh,
3: okay, so, Ann, you were very obsessed with getting on... Uh, Bill. Bill for Christ. Hello. Yes. Uh, great to be speaking with you, uh, Richard. So I have a couple of quick questions uh, for you on Ukraine. Um, okay. And I know that's something that uh, we're both probably really interested in. Um, but I'm sure you saw... Uh, I believe it was yesterday... Um, President Zelensky uh, banned the Russian Orthodox Church uh, in Ukraine, um, and he still, of course, he still allowed the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. So, what, what do you think is going to happen as a result of someone?
0: To... Okay, I think I. Okay, so I notice, you know, Tucker Carlson getting annoyed that uh, Zelensky's you know, cracking down on personal freedoms, but you know, I think this is what people do when they're at war. The United States reduced a lot of freedoms and rights when the U.S. was at war. All these criticisms of Zelensky but like banning
1: the Communist Party and uh, you know controlling the airwaves during wartime—I mean, it, that's just an absolute necessity. Um, the Russian Orthodox Church is a arm of the state. I mean, I, I don't think you could plausibly allow some kind of antagonistic entity within your borders while you're, particularly, while you're fighting a war.
0: Yeah, uh, good uh, realistic analysis there from Richard Spencer, even when. Russia was the Soviet Union, right? The Russian Orthodox Church essentially, you know, went along with the communist regime.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, I think that's fair. I mean, if you're at war, you want to ban uh, parties that against yeah. you, and I, I don't see that as like super authoritarian or a bad thing or anything like that. But at the same time, I think that when you start to ban ideas, um, and like you were just talking about, it, it starts to, I think it sets a really bad precedent. Um, because I mean, why should, like, I know we're looking at it from the perspective of the state of Ukraine, right. but If you look at it from the perspective of the people in Ukraine, like why should they be forced to worship in one church rather than the other? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And look,
1: Ukraine was genuinely divided. I mean, it's, I, I think a lot of, you know, maybe more is made over some of those, uh, election returns from 2014 or something where you just had this geographic dis- distribution between Yanukovych, um. And uh, who is this? I forgot who we ran against. And, um, when did he run? Was that in 2012? When, or is 2014 this? Is yeah. A while ago. yeah. 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 Um, I forgot who we ran against. I, I need to go read up on this. But you can see these geographic distributions, and you can even see kind of uh, religious distributions as well, where Catholicism is leading west, Russian Orthodoxy is leading east, and the east of the country is leading east or towards Yanakovsha.
0: So, what are my thoughts on Bitcoin? I came out very strongly against Bitcoin about uh, 18 months ago. So, I don't think it does the things that it's boosters push. I think it's a, a, a scam that uh, people, you know, get influence, they get a following, they, you know, talk, talk people into investing. And uh, I think it's a highly dubious operation. I think, you know, investing in cyber currencies is like the, the tulip mania that uh, took over Holland back in the, in the 17th century. I don't think that uh, cyber currencies are particularly useful or a good investment. So highly skeptical, highly negative on Bitcoin and cyber currencies. And uh, I've been that way for about uh, two years.
1: I mean, maybe too much could be made of such things, but it, it is a real factor. And yeah. I don't know how to solve that issue. But like, if I were Zelensky, I would absolutely... Ban the Russian Orthodox Church. I mean, I can't believe it took him this long. And I would absolutely ban the Communist Party, for God's sake, and um, control the airwaves and have nothing on the airwaves that is even conceivably demoralizing. Yeah. So, therefore, no dissent or um, or so on. I mean, again, it's kind of brutal, and we don't like this for good reason. But um, you 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 know, when you enter a stage of an existential crisis, I mean, you know, you can't. <laughs> you're a football team, and you're in the huddle. You're like, this is the play we're running, and then someone's like, well, what is
0: a play really? And is this, you know, right? So. When I'm running late, I'm a very different person. Uh, when I'm running late, I, I tend to, you know, pe- treat people much more in you know transactional way. When I'm running late, I'm much more likely to be rude, to be inconsiderate, to not be thoughtful or kind. Right. So, depending on the situation, you know, I'm a completely different person. So, to with with uh, you know, a nation at war, right? You're in a completely different situation, all sorts of riots, you know, just gonna have to go by the wayside when you're at war. And we saw with COVID when we entered that situation with COVID, you know, all these rights which we thought were you know, God-given and immutable, right? Just get taken away just like that. When the situation changes, individuals and nations have to change. You're like, all right, get the sky off. <laughs> You know, we got to win, and you, you have to make a decision and understand that you're in a real serious situation. Um, yeah, Vanning. I just so I am in Manly, the northern part of Sydney, looking out at Sydney Harbour, and uh, right in the middle of the screen right now, I'm looking at Watsons Bay. There, I'll move it a little bit towards the center, the center right. That's Watsons Bay. To the left, right. This is this is Manly, and I uh, got here on the ferry. You're seeing the ferries go by. It is currently 1.03 p.m. Friday afternoon here. It's about uh, 70 degrees Celsius, about uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 20 degrees Celsius right now. It's uh, summer vacation. Kids are largely out of school.
1: Look, all of these things can have bad consequences, but, you know, everything can have bad consequences. I I don't think there's no reason to believe that Zelensky would have done this in peacetime. Um, Okay, I am going to move on just because I am going to. So I'll get a few people. Let's keep everything quiet. Yugi Muto, you've been uh, raising your hand for a while. You're poor. Okay,
3: yeah. So I had a question about this whole yay thing. Like, I think yay is reasonably interesting. Yeah. Hello. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. Hello? Yeah, you're raising your hand,
4: but you just need to speak. So uh, I'll, I'll make it quick. I have two points but, uh, that to give your uh, take on. One uh, with uh, Fuentes. Um, I think it's useful to kind of get a, a look at the long game. We're looking at the whole Fuentes-Kanye kind of thing. Uh, everybody seems to have kind of grasp on what's happening here, and with Kanye, we're witnessing kind of like the equivalent of a homeless dude taking a dump in front of people in public, where whereby uh, his <laughs> depression is uh, is manifesting itself in the highest of EQ type of type of fashion that, that exists. And you know, you get this spark of creative madness that's going on with him in and, and, and that way. We all get to be entertained by it, and you know, that manifests in, in him or himself with Milo, uh, Fuentes, and. Uh, you know, the Fuentes influence. I think. I think the real important figure in this whole thing is Fuentes because, you know, like I said, Kanye's just doing his thing. That'll fizzle out. That'll do what it does. His influence uh, kind of uh, matriculates down to, to Fuentes, and Fuentes is the real winner out of this. Whereby. Uh, he can be analogized. His influence can be analogized to a uh, to a snowball, you know, and the snowball will, of course, expand expand to the size relative to uh, the abundance of snow in its immediate proximity. Right. And you know, one sec it might be rolling on a, on a barren sidewalk with with no snow, and that could be that could be easily analogized to to the last like, like three four or five years when he's been mass banned across mass media, social media, and you know, everyone's kind of had to pretend they don't know who he is. But more and more, it's becoming apparent that everyone will know who he is. Everyone does know who he is. There's I don't you know, not- see there are
1: problems to that, and in some ways, this is part of my own experience because. I mean, first off, CPAC knew who he was very early on and he started getting banned from CPAC as, I don't know, maybe 2018, maybe certainly 2019, 2020. Right. Um, and you can't make an excuse that you don't know who he is. So, you know, he can have this for army and he can have friends like Ali Alexander or whatever, but that, yeah, you're in a you're in a very, if you want to be a political actor, you're, you're in a very difficult situation. And so sometimes these things, I mean, I get the snowball analogy, of course, but like sometimes these
4: things can get big and go back. I mean, Look, it won't be, he when, won't merely have a snowball. He won't merely be a snowman by the time 20, by the time he's 35, 36, at the age to run. He's going to be, he's going to be a full on avalanche by then. All Kanye's influence is done to him is just release density around that, This you know, analysis. snowball. I agree
0: with that to some extent. I'm just kind of, I'm trying not to be like uh, anyone to accuse me of jealousy
4: or something. It, well, how is all of this going to work? I mean, you know, like. You know, it's counterproductive kind of to even try to predict it. You know, you don't even like smart businessmen don't don't forecast past five years for this reason, and it's even kind of become the forecast into five years for this reason. But I think politics is a little five different. Months. Exactly. So with politics, so, though, I think it forecast is forecast five months. Forecast five months for what? Business? But I mean, no. I mean, look, I
1: I get what you're saying. It's just kind of like you need to understand the difficulty of doing this. I I, I would say that what Fuentes has going for him is that if you drop the Holocaust revisionism and overt racism, etc.
4: He's in his 20s, though. That's the one thing he has going for him. So both of those things that you just mentioned, and um, I think you cut out. I don't know what happened. Is, but. I did cut out. Someone called me, yeah.
1: The, what Nick has going for him is that the way he articulates things is actually really attractive to a large part of the Republican base. Now, I'm not saying that Holocaust revisionism is attractive to them, or that overt racism, or you know, Catholic dictatorship, or whatever, but like the, he is a kind
0: of hyper-conservative in a way that... <laughs> the chat says, even Richard Spencer was replaced by a chief of cheaper, you know, Mexican migrant Nick Fuentes.
1: <laughs> I am, to make a obvious
0: comparison, not.
1: So, well, it's fine that he does it, though. He's in his 20s, that, I'm, so I'm telling yeah, you, he's I in know, his 20s, he can get like, away with it. He can't have his own fan base without the hyper-Catholicism and Holocaust revisionism and so on. So, he's in a kind of tough bind. And, I, I don't know, I mean, like, I, I think there's going to be authentic, you know, what Ye represents is real and authentic and powerful, but you know it's easier all this stuff is easier said than done i mean they, like the, you're going to have to get actually pragmatic at some point
0: and <laughs> this is like yeah you know, like the earlier caller said uh you know, when you watch a homeless man taking a you know, dump on a public sidewalk you know it's very authentic and you know, it's very heartfelt <laughs> it could even be seen as powerful but uh, you know I, I i don't think it's going to transform society
1: And Quintez, yes, is now a household
0: name
1: But, you know, relying on a support base of his fans is difficult Now, having a billionaire on your side, that's hugely powerful But at the same time, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little more sober about these things now, a few days later I mean, you
4: could make a very strong case that this whole thing is headed for disaster yeah, and actually, this is the last point. This is the second point, final point I was going to pitch to you on this. Because I want to pick thoughts on. Uh, so that, that perfectly leads into it. Uh, with Donald Trump's recent uh, kind of assertion of suspending the Constitution, I think. I didn't even read the press release. Oh, by the way, Kirstie Alley just died. I don't know if anyone knows. That's big news right now. She just died. Okay. But anyway, that's a... But, uh, so I remember Donald Trump. That was a fun show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, freaking, it takes two. It, I think that's what I knew. Anyway, um, back, to, back to the suspending of the Constitution. What I really think he's leading on here, uh, what, he's, what he's really... What he really means is suspending liberties, which I think is, you know, we have two historical examples of where that worked very well. Uh, one, Napoleon did it in France uh, leading up to his implementation to the rights of man, uh, and it worked. Um, he got France's new civil code in place uh, while these suspensions were implemented. And among those suspensions were uh, Jews were relegated um, down to certain professions. They couldn't participate in banking. They couldn't participate in, uh, what's the other thing? Well, they couldn't participate in lending and usury, and they couldn't participate in, there's something else that might have even been medical. Um the other thing, the other time it happened was here in the United States under John Adams, of course, with the with the Alienation and Sedition Act, whereby um, liberties were suspended and you couldn't you couldn't talk shit about the government uh, or you were headed to jail. And you also, of course, well, you couldn't talk bad about the government. And then mass deportations were like you know, Madison had free reign to do that. And of course, Jefferson later pardoned everyone who was who was uh, impugned under under those legal steps. But these are two points in history where such measures did work, a suspension of liberties. For the meantime, while maybe a convention of states is happening in this case, like who, knows, who knows what that would be I, I Look, I think the MAGA people want this kind of stuff. He's not talking about suspending liberties. I mean, hes, he's he wants to be
1: elected president. I mean, let's not project something on him that's not there, and uh, there is no question an effort going on among conservatives to, you know, have a new constitution or something to the
4: state legislatures, which they could legally do. Um, Yo, big of, spence how's it new, going, man? Cool stuff. So you can tell by my profile picture; it's Tony Tiger cooking crack, so I'm a big nigger proponent. All right, back on this guy. guy.
1: Right. Okay. Oh, Bursa, you can speak. All
4: right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Internet and ideology. That guy really got me thinking. You know. Um, was William Luther Pierce actually an anti-Semite? Was George yeah, Rockwell? Uh, actually
0: a racist. I'm not sure if he ever articulated that. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it just struck me the- Yeah, so that was an earlier call to Richard Spencer, like is Nick Winter is really, you know, an anti Semite, is he really, you know, white nationalist. And uh, Richard's like, Are you kidding me if you listen to any anything from uh, Nick So yeah, William Luther Pierce was definitely you know, he's
1: a smart guy, and he's also very he's, he's very polite. I think he's good natured But yeah, they're they're you know he he gives a new definition to the word charitable uh, reading of, <laughs> of someone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, I don't I, I don't I don't want to diss him actually because he, he's very polite and he's he's clearly smart and good natured.
3: So
4: yeah, but I feel like that's kind of the danger of um, like Nick Fuentes when Alex asked him if you're a white nationalist and he just said there's no hesitation, no. Um, that was just right. the biggest lie of my life, which was kind of a setup. But yeah. the thing
1: is what. What alice Jones just wants to do is deflect everything. You know, so he's like, You're not a Nazi like George Soros, who rounded up Jews and killed them. Like, everything is this just weird, like, you know, it's, it's not a serious point. And it's this weird way of deflecting so that, you know, no one calls him Nazis. But the, the one thing that I appreciated about Kay, uh, I keep calling him Kay, gosh, <laughs> I called him Kanye forever, and then now I'm Yay, I've I complained. The, the interesting thing about what Yay did is that he just kind of had none of it. You know, because he's like, Are you a Nazi like George Soros?
0: You know, did you kill six million Jews? Today? Did you? And, and you like Alex, like. So, people who change their names all the time, like people who change their religion, they don't tend to be very stable people. They tend to be high in you know neurotic tendencies. That doesn't mean that we can completely count them out or completely dismiss them. Obviously, I changed my religion. I also took on a Hebrew name, Lady Ben Abraham. But generally speaking, that name changes are and religion changes are a sign of instability.
1: Hitler was cool, right? Like was, he was—he just like blew away all of this just stupid conservative deflection. think <laughs> yeah, there's almost like some like
4: great thing. <laughs> Yeah, he gives them every opportunity to deflect,
3: and you know, well, you're not
0: really a Nazi, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, a lot of people try to give you know Kanye West an, an out, you know, from the self destruction. Like people over thirty tend to feel bad when other people self destruct in front of them, and so people over thirty try to often you know throw them a lifeline, and and that's what you know Alex Jones and Gavin McGuinness are doing. So Gavin McGuinness has this you know whole program where he wants to you know reframe. Kanye West, and point him in it in a more effective direction. It looks like Kanye's just bent on self-destruction. So if someone's in the cave, or someone's bent on self-destruction, you try to help them out, they will they will not be appreciative. They won't bite you. No, was cool. He did a lot of good stuff, man.
1: Right, it you know, was really funded by the British, and you know the Nazis are in charge of the world economic forum. And it's just like, shut up! Yeah. It's so dumb. Every conservative, there, it's like the, it's like the essence of like middle intelligence, where you're too cute by half. You, you try to come up with some weird, just like obviously fraudulent, like overly complicated game. And you know, people who are both less intelligent than you and more intelligent are just like, listen, man, <laughs> you know, like just no, you know, stop talking like this. This is absurd. And um, I don't think Alex Jones is a Nazi, to be frank. I, you know, I I think he actually is kind of... I I think he comes out of the Ron Paul era. And I think he he believes in all these conspiracy theories, like, genuinely. But I think he also believes that we could go back to the Constitution, quote-unquote, and that these things would just kind of vanish into thin air or something. I, 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 that's how I would describe him. I, don't, I genuinely don't think he's an actual National Socialist. I have no idea about Ye. I mean, I don't know him well enough, but I don't know... I mean, he's obviously fascinated by these things. But, I, you know, I, I don't think we really know enough about his... him to really...
0: Look, we know enough about Kanye West. He doesn't really have you know, a thought through uh, ideology, right? This is not you know, a great intellectual. Right? This guy's a rapper, Right. He you know, he grunts and he, he emotes and he strings some rhymes together. He's not a political philosopher. He doesn't have a comprehensive ideology.
1: Really say like what what would he actually do? What does he really want? You know, you can't just keep telling people go read the Bible. You know, he was like like paraphrasing Genesis one or something, you know, and it's like, Okay, you know, yes. You know, man. You know, man. He created the man and woman. Man and woman, he created them. Okay, great. But like, what is your point? Like, what do you actually want? I, I don't know. I don't know if he's just fascinated by Jesus and Hitler as kind of like the ultimate historical celebrities at some level. It's perfectly possible. I mean, though he did say Hitler was like <laughs> the first rock star, but I mean, Alex going. Yeah, it is. It is definitely In images of fans
0: reacting to Hitler, including teenage girls, and fans reacting to the Beatles twenty years later. It's remarkable. I'm definitely not the first one to point this out. There, there. He kind of was the first celebrity. So- what, what, you know, it's Kanye West and Milo Yiannopoulos, Nick Fuentes and Gavin McGuinness, it's, it's you know, a certain kind of celebrity, but right? it's not the ideology that's driving these people, it's the, the enjoyment of fame and the desire to you know, expand your fame and the fascination with other people who've been, you know, celebrities who've been able to, you know, capture the imagination and the attention of millions of people. We now live in the attention economy. How do you grab attention? The easiest way is to be extreme, to say things that are considered you know, socially unacceptable. Right, so in our secular society, about the only holy thing we have left, which it made this point, is uh, put in the Nazis because you know, these are the ultimate in evil. And so in our homogenized you know, secular society that's been robbed uh, the mystical, the magical, the transcendent, the divine about the only you know, magical thing we have left is the dark magic of the, the Nazis and Adolf Hitler and so that you know, attracts a you know, kind of rapt, a kind of, you know, perverse kind of attention and you know, making a play for that you are going to grab a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, so coming to you live from Manly in North Sydney. Now, now at, uh, Watson's Bay. So I'm listening to Richard Spencer. There think be kind of one person celebrity in, the, in that modern sense. Yeah, and, like, and maybe that's what resonates with money. Yeah, I remember. I remember when uh, you were on Alex Jones. Nope. So, yeah, a lot of you know live streamers, uh, public personalities, rappers that you know, just want to be. Famous, right? That there's no cause greater than themselves. Right? And uh, I think that unites many of the people we're talking about here. It's not really anything they believe in greater than themselves. So, how bad is the wind interfering with the sound quality? Richard Spencer's Twitter space December six. That was funny enough. That was a question he asked you, uh, and he said at one point,
4: Do you like it more? Uh, and, uh, and Kanye, you gave a, a smart deflection of, well, you know, he was a figure from
1: history. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Kanye um, had a completely different answer to that question. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, all right, guys, I'm sorry if I didn't get to you, uh, but I am going to put a bookmark in this.
0: I would. Okay. I'm going to put a uh, bookmark in this. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye.